Welcome to the Total Financial Podcast channel. I'm Scott Whitehead, and I'll be your host today. Today's podcast will be focusing on longevity planning and how you can help your clients mitigate that risk through proper planning with long-term care solutions. With me today, we have a very special guest, James Romero, our Regional Vice President for the Secure Care product line at Securian. How are you doing, James? Doing great, Scott. Thanks for having me. Happy to be here. Right, we're super happy to have you. I will tell you, we've had the pleasure of working with James in the past, and he has really done a great job of, of working with my team and my advisors on helping him understand the issues around longevity planning, around long-term care, around asset-based long-term care and how they work. He's been really instrumental in, in helping us close a number of cases. So we're I'm super excited to have him on, on our podcast today. So before we get started, why don't you tell me a little bit about your background? Sure. So I've been in financial services for the last 15 years with an emphasis in long-term care. And so really it's about education. I work with organizations such as Total uh, and their advisors help educating, you know, what is long-term care? You know, what is the impact long-term care can have on retirement planning? What are the solutions that we have available uh, for this planning? And how do we implement all these solutions for our clients? So I'll really focus on education. Normally I travel. Uh, so a little bit change right now with the pandemic, but Certainly with uh, working with virtual, we've been able to accomplish uh, a lot and keep them going uh, with our successes. But like everyone else, really looking forward to getting back out there so I keep spreading the word uh, about long-term care and the importance of that for everybody. Honestly, it is. It's going to be good to get back to a little bit of normalcy coming up soon. So let's uh, start this conversation with a few stats. You know, I like to set the table with some stats, kind of look at the marketplace a little bit and talk about why longevity planning matters. So start with this one, and you may want to actually get your pen out and write a few of these down. So the average life expectancy for people in the U.S. from in 1990 was 73.61 years. Fast forward to 2019, that number increased to 78.87 years. That's more than a five-year increase. And obviously, as advisors, we're always looking at making you know, adjustments and doing things right for our client. As we look at that, that's a, that's, a, that's a pretty big increase in what we have to do. So let's couple that with some other stats. The average out-of-pocket medical expenses for a couple age, age 65, is $285,000. And that does not include any long-term care coverage. That is just simply medical expense coverage. Pair that with the average retirement savings for a baby boomer of 152,000, 285 for average medical expenses, savings of 152,000. That's a pretty big gap there. Now we tie in the average long-term care cost of $90,000 per year in a semi-private room and an average stay of three years, that's another 180,000. So for me, something's not adding up here. I certainly think longevity is playing a play here. There's also, you know, some savings issues and so forth, but people are living longer and spending more on healthcare. And it's important to have some plans. With that, James, kind of what's your take on longevity planning and some of the issues that our advisors can face here? Yeah, what I think it's important to understand up front is the, the key in all of this is income. Income is what drives our lives, whether you're working or in retirement. It all comes down to income. We first have, we have our income that comes in 
From there, we have to right away pay our obligations, our expenses. Then after that, we have what's left over. And that determines a lot of how we live our lives, how much we can spend, how many purchases we make, how many times we go out to dinner, uh, take vacations. So all this comes down to income while you're working and in retirement. And in retirement, how income can be impact everything here is the same method. Now, what does that impact on what we have the ability to do within our lives? And to put that in perspective, let me get an example of, say, two hypothetical couples that are both retired. The first couple, they have, let's say they have a million and a half dollars in savings for retirement. The other couple, they have $300,000 in savings. So at a glance, you would think, okay, well, the couple that has the million and a half in retirement savings, well, they're probably way ahead doing a lot better than this other couple. But then when you start to get into more details, we may see that, well, they may have that million and a half. They don't really have any other type of income coming in. So all of their income in retirement is being driven through that million and a half through an investment portfolio. So no other social security, no other pension incomes of that nature. So they're living primarily off what they can draw down from that portfolio. And hopefully that portfolio can sustain itself. But then some more details that we find out, they actually still have a mortgage. They actually still have car payments that they're making. So when you consider the amount of income they can comfortably take off that million and a half, then first pay their obligated expenses, what do you have left over that can dictate their lives? It probably wouldn't be a whole lot. Now, on the flip side, let's take a look at the other couple who had the $300,000 in savings. Well, it turns out they actually don't even touch that $300,000. The reason why? They have pension income. They have Social Security. And between the two of them, with that income, they're actually flush whereas they have plenty to cover their expenses and they have a lot extra that they have uh, for disposable income. So they actually have a lot they can do. They can go on trips, a lot of uh, purchases that they can make. So the key is there, it really comes down to income that drives everything, not necessarily assets, but income. And what's important is that we learn how to make sure we're protecting that income. That's some interesting math you had there where uh, 300,000 is greater than 1.5 million, James. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, it's surprising how we have to have our perspectives to make sure we align with you know, how are we doing to protect our longevity planning. So in your mind, what are the three greatest risks to retirement income? Obviously, we were just talking about some of them, but what are the three greatest risks? Sure. So it really comes down to three items, as you mentioned. So the first is taxes and inflation. You know, And it makes sense. If taxes go up, that just means it's that much less of our income that we get to keep. If inflation goes up, just means that much less purchasing power that our dollars have. The other uh, risk is a downturn in the market. And a lot of us that have been in the market for a while have been experienced 2008. And there were some big challenges with the financial crisis. And then most recently, of course, with the pandemic last year, there was a huge market crash uh, as well, which can threaten all of our planning that we have uh, in terms of our longevity planning and with our retirement income. Now, as much of a threat those first two are, I still feel that there's a far greater risk with expenses in healthcare and more specifically with long-term care. So I've been in this business long enough now with conversations with advisors. I've heard the stories of clients that had all their planning, decades of planning completely thrown off by just a few short years of a long-term care event. And there's adult children who've had to take in parents to try to help uh, a situation such as that. What is the impact that had on finances? You know, what does that overall do for those that didn't have a plan in protecting that income? So it makes sense. You know, with inflation and taxes, 
with some proper adjustments with planning, which typically advisors can do, make sure they generate some tax-free income to help avoid any of those situations and keep up with, with those changing dynamics. With a downturn in the market, again, with the proper planning, as I'm sure we've seen and experienced coming out of the 2008 financial crisis, coming out of the pandemic last year, and the market comes back up with the proper planning and investment plan, we can cover that. But without the plan for those healthcare risks and the long-term care impact, that can have devastating consequences that may be irreversible. Yeah, that's a little scary. I mean, having that available is is incredibly important. What do you think is the best solution in the marketplace right now to mitigate at least that medical risk and some of those other longevity risks that there is? Sure. The key to all this, Scott, is to have a plan. By having a plan in place now, you're prepared for those events. And so that way we're not trying to now all of a sudden change uh, pace to try to accommodate that. If we have a plan up front, it helps us be prepared for those impact, uh, those instances. So what do I mean by having a plan? It doesn't necessarily mean having an insurance policy. It means understanding what's the game plan. So how do we start with creating that plan? So it all comes down to a conversation with the clients. Now you may be that advisor that has been working with them over these last uh, several years with the saving and reaching that goal to retirement. Or you may be um, an insurance planner. They do their financial planning separately, but yet you are there to advise them from the insurance impact of the retirement planning. Whatever it may be, it's very important to have the conversation. And you would start out, if we were talking to a couple, uh, hypothetically, you may say, you know, we've done a great job so far with our planning, we're on track so that in retirement, we can have the income we need to live the life that we've uh, always imagined for retirement. But for today, we have to have a conversation about something that if left unplanned for and unaddressed could have devastating consequences that may just completely uh, devastate everything we've done so far. Now understand, this is not a conversation about the likelihood of you getting sick. This is a conversation to understand what are the consequences to all of our planning should one of you end up with your health compromised. So we'll explain what that means. So we're going to go through some exercises here. So if you're talking to this couple, you'd say, okay, if there's a change in health, it's important to understand first thing, let's say, we'll say the husband is hypothetically, now they have a health condition. They can no longer independently do things for themselves, such as eating, bathing, or dressing, need assistance, getting out of, out of a chair or bathtub. If you're in that state, let's understand. Let's try to help understand the perspective. First and foremost, who is going to be that person that would help you out and provide that type of supportive care? Now, naturally, when you have this conversation with spouses, not right away, the thought would be, okay, my spouse would help me out with that. Of course they would. You guys love each other. You took that vow in sickness and in health. And although a long-term care event can happen at any age, the reality is majority of these types of instances happen when you're in your 80s. So let's put that into perspective. You're 83, and that's when you need this type of help. Is your spouse at her age going to be able to help you with all of the requirements to provide these types of care? Uh, most notably, how about getting in and out of a bathtub? At that age, trying to lift where it may be slippery because it's wet. What if she sustained a fall herself and at that age? How devastating could that be to their health? Does that sound ideal for whom you want to be your caregiver? One other thing that's important to note with that, Scott, there's a 
is a very important phrase in long-term care, and that's caring for a chronically ill loved one often causes the caregiver to become chronically ill themselves. So from the physical part we kind of just discussed, what's even more draining on somebody that's a caregiver is the emotional impact that someone can have. Seeing someone in the state over and over on a daily basis, you know, they're not at their best, they're not at their happy. It's an overall just challenging mood to be in for a prolonged period of time. You want nothing but to help this person, but you know their health is going to go down the path that you can't control. All you can be there is in support. And over time, that really weighs on somebody. It can often have challenges to their health. So when you consider the impact this can have to your spouse, the next place to pivot to would be children. Do you have children? Where are your children? Where are they at in their lives? Do they have their own children? If they were going to need to help out with you in this situation, would they be available to do so? Would they have the means to do so with their work? Could they accommodate the ability to be around for that? How about the financial impact that that may have for them? And that can be a different part of the conversation. Some people might say, you know, I, I really would prefer to not have my children to have to deal with this. And some might say, yes, uh, yeah, I, I would expect my children to help out. And that's, that's pretty common. A lot of times children are very much involved, but they don't have the capability to do all of it themselves. And they need some help, they need some support. And that costs money. Are we going to put that cost on our children or are we going to pay for that ourselves? And how would we do that? So that's where you pivot to the next step. First, the consequences on family. Next, let's understand now to alleviate some of those consequences on our family. What are the consequences on our income? Right. Comes back to that longevity planning. What are the consequences to our income? Should we need to have support from a caregiver that we need to pay? to uh, provide all that support for our family to make sure they can continue with their lives. Because understand, it's not inexpensive. You, you give an example there, that 90000 was one example. So then we pivot to the portfolio. Here's the finances we worked on. And based on our plan in retirement, you can take this amount of income. Let's use an example, Scott. Let's say they can take $80,000 out of their portfolio comfortably. And by doing so, the amount of principal in the portfolio left at the targeted rate of return from that principal should continue to generate $80,000 a year comfortably in income. Let's say their expenses are $60,000 a year. So they have a nice gap. They have enough income to safely, comfortably cover their living expenses and have enough leftovers for any other additional items they want to do or uh, any other unknown, small, uh, unexpected costs that may come up. But now all of a sudden you have the long-term care event. And let's say since it's home care, let's say that's going to be $75,000 a year. Well, what's important to note up front is long-term care expenses don't replace their everyday living expenses. They're in addition. So the $60,000 of income or, or excuse me, expenses they had now, that's the, for the most part, not going to go away and remain the same. And the 75,000 of long-term care will be on top of that. So now their total expenses are $135,000. If their income is $80,000, they're going to be short $55,000. What do we do? We need to pay those expenses. So now you're taking that extra amount out of the portfolio. And you do that again one year. You cover those expenses. Now you get into year two. And now you have less principal in there from before. And you take that extra amount out. At this point, after just two years, you've taken so much extra out against the plan. Remember, the plan worked as long as you took $80,000. Now we took too much principal. 
Now there's not enough left to grow at that rate of return to supply that income. So now we're at a point where our assets are going backwards. Our portfolio is decreasing every single year. So again, that's what we talk about. I said in the beginning, I've had plenty of conversations with advisors that on a very, just a few short years of long-term care completely throws off decades of income planning for retirement. That's where it comes to having a plan. Having a plan today. So should we find ourselves in a long-term care event, our plan is understanding who's going to provide the care, how much of professional support will we need, how do we supply payment for that? And today, while we're healthy enough, should we need any type of insurance plan out there that's available to you? That then would supply the new income needed. So we remain at the 80000 withdrawal from the portfolio to cover our 60000 living expenses. The new long-term care expenses would be paid for by the new income generated by the long-term care plan that would provide that new income to cover those expenses. So as long as we have our plan today, 20 years later, when that may come up, we are not unprepared and we know how we can take care of that and focus on our longevity planning and protect that income. That was a really amazing set of talking points that you just gave to our listeners. And I would suggest every single listener that we have listening to this, go back and re-listen to that because he really talks about the consequences to the, you know, the changes in health to the family, to the income of the portfolio. And it comes down to using products today that can really help solve some of that plan need, some of that income need. And there are three amazing products in the marketplace. Obviously we have long-term care coverage, you know, the good old fashioned long-term care. We've got life with long-term care riders. We also have the new, the uh, linked based asset-based products, Tell me a little bit about the differences in each of those products. Sure. So there's first the traditional long-term care that's been around for a very long time and was the most common way that people used insurance to protect uh, for long-term care. Um, that has sort of been impacted today. The reason with long-term care, it's the most affordable way, the traditional long-term care, to get insurance coverage. However, what's happened is prices have gone up substantially over the last seven to eight years. And the premiums on enforced policies are not guaranteed. So everyone that's had a traditional long-term care for a long period of time uh, has been impacted by premium increases. The other trade-off is there's no sort of benefit if you don't use the plan. So if you were to cancel, there's no refund available. If you were to pass away, even after 20 plus years of paying on, a, on the traditional long-term care plan, you were to pass away, you didn't end up needing long-term care, there's no value in return. There's no benefits paid to beneficiaries. So while it was very affordable and still is today your most affordable way to protect for long-term care, um, there's, some, there's a bit about not having a guaranteed premium rate and not having any sort of cash value associated with that should you not need care. It has led people to look for some alternatives. Uh, so then they, they pivot to the life insurance with a chronic illness or a long-term care rider. Uh, which is, is very popular. And the reason why you can get some guarantees out of that, if you don't use it for long-term care, there's a death benefit that pays to the family and that takes away sort of that use it or lose it sort of concept uh, when moving forward the plan. Uh, and then of course, if you do uh, end up needing to cancel, there would be some sort of cash surrender value. That way you protect all that money that you put towards the plan, either if you needed to cancel or passed away without uh, needing long-term care. The problem with this though, is it's significantly more in cost than a traditional long-term care policy because all of your long-term care benefit is now supplied from drawing down the death benefit. 
So that's expensive. Life insurance, death benefit costs a whole lot more than just an, a long-term care insurance pool. So it takes a lot more money to on, on a life insurance to match a benefit pool that you'd get on a, an insurance plan, traditional long-term care insurance plan. Plus, you don't have the ability for the inflation as well to help offset and keep that growing. The last is what you mentioned, that the hybrid, the asset-based long-term care plan. And that's really an easy way to put this is a combination of the, the first two we spoke of. It's built on the chassis of a life insurance. So you can get some of those guarantees. You can guarantee your premium. So won't ever have to increase. You can guarantee a death benefit. So you never use it. You, you don't lose that money. A death benefit would pay to the beneficiaries. And you can guarantee some sort of a cash value. So if you need to cancel, you have that upon return. But however, you also, for the long-term care component, it's built on sort of that traditional insurance concept where you just have an additional bucket of pure traditional long-term care insurance dollars so that besides the death benefit, you have this whole other pool that costs you a lot less to get. So you can get a lot more long-term care for a lot less cost and also have the ability to have inflation to help keep those dollars growing for you. So that's sort of been the, the portfolio. All of them still are great. The best plan is the one that you get. So having any plan is, is better than not having any or, or not having no plan. But uh, yeah, that's sort of the, the impact uh, that all these can have. Uh, and look, take a look. How do we protect our income? Having a plan in place, one of these three has been sort of that solution. Hey, James, can you address this question? I know it's a, it's a little bit off topic, a little bit, but this is a question that we get all the time. Can you address the difference between a chronic illness rider and a long-term care rider? That's a very common question. Yeah, absolutely. So uh, these are what you find. Uh, these riders are found on life insurance contracts. And they're similar in concept, but there's, there are some differences. So let's start with a long-term care rider. So a, if a plan has what's called a long-term care rider on it, that means it's a, a, a rider that adheres to the guidelines of 7702B. It's a federal tax guideline, and it has specific requirements that your policy has to meet in order to be acceptable to have this long-term care rider. So it's not up to the insurance companies, uh, the parameters of what's covered and what's not. You have to adhere to the guidelines within 7702B. So it's very straightforward. You know exactly what you're getting to because it's commonplace language that every contract must use to comply with 7702B. A chronic illness rider functions differently. There is no guideline that you have to follow to meet a specific uh, obligation to be considered that tax qualified long-term care like the 7702B. So it is more left to the insurance companies to dictate the parameters about accessing that death benefit for the impact of long-term care. Now, let's break down even more the, the, the chronic illness. Now, these can be very good and some of them are pretty upfront and straightforward. So if you ever notice a chronic illness rider that has a distinct charge for it that you know upfront then those are going to be more of your straightforward benefit, most likely get the entire death benefit available to you. And they typically follow similar guidelines that a 772B long-term care rider would uh, and pretty upfront and straightforward. Then there's another type of chronic illness rider that's presented as a free sort of add-on to a policy. Now, it's important to know if the policy that you're looking at has one of these sort of uh, included or free uh, chronic illness riders, or if it does have that expense. If it doesn't have an expense, just note this is what often gets missed. There is going to be an expense on the back end. 
uh, through actuarial discounting. It's called a discounted benefit. What that means is, in kind of summary, they're all going to vary on the different types of policies and, and what's covered, but here's the general sort of way that works. When you go to actually need to use the benefits for care purposes, what they consider is a variety of items and of input items. So your age at the time, what is the condition? What is your life expectancy to have this condition? And then they will calculate all that up and they'll present an offer to you. And it will be a, a percentage of your death benefit. And that will be your offer to choose to accept it. What that means is you don't know upfront getting the policy, what your benefit's going to be. It's going to be determined at a later date. And not a lot of people always realize that upfront. If they do, that's great, but it is something important to know. So the chronic illness writers, while they provide these benefits, they do function uh, a little bit left to the companies to determine how that uh, would work. The L7702B LTC writer does adhere to a guidelines preset forth and federal requirements to have that right. Yeah, that was a great explanation. I would tell anybody of the listeners, at Total, we've got a ton of resources that we can look at each of the riders versus the LTC if, if that's the solution, the plan that you're looking for. And we can help you work through those. And, you know, I'm a big fan of, of the, the true LTC riders, but there are a couple of carriers that are really good chronic illness riders that we should look at too. So just ask us those questions. We do have some resources that'll help. So James, that was a really good explanation. Now I'm going to throw you a softball. This is this one's going to be kind of fun because this is another question that we hear. Talk about the difference between indemnity and reimbursement. Absolutely. So just to set the premise up front, when it comes to any type of long-term care plan, when benefits are going to be distributed to the policyholder for the use for to provide care, there's two methods that exist within policies on how that's going to be distributed. There's reimbursement and indemnity. Now, when it comes to long-term care, Reimbursement has been the most prominent method still today on long-term care policies. Majority are reimbursement. What that means is a couple of things. First and foremost, to qualify to receive benefits, you have to adhere to the outline of coverage in that contract. And if the method of how you're going to receive your care follows those guidelines, then you're approved to receive benefits. And then a bill gets generated. The bill goes to the carrier they review and they look at your costs. And so you will get up to what your expenses are that are approved up to what your monthly maximum would be. So let's say your long-term care benefit is $6,000 per month on your policy, but your long-term care costs on your bill are actually $5,000. Well, then you'd get reimbursed up to what your costs were, which those $5,000. Now, let's say your costs were $7,000, more than your $6,000 benefit on your policy. Then you'd be capped at $6,000 since that's your monthly benefit limit. Uh, So that's the process of reimbursement, still prominent today. And these are going to get you the coverage you need. You just have to make sure you follow the guidelines, and then the bills would be reviewed and approved to be reimbursed. Indemnity works a little different. It just simplifies the process for everybody. So there is no guideline that you have to follow. There's not a list of what would be determined as qualified long-term care. The way indemnity works is once you're approved from a health standpoint to receive your benefits, which for the most part will come down to being a chronically ill individual, which is someone who requires assistance with two of the six activities of daily living or has severe cognitive impairment. Once you're determined to be a chronically ill individual, then you'll receive your benefit per month paid to you on a cash basis. So it's actually just a cash payment of what your monthly benefit is, direct deposit into your account. 
And then you're free to spend that money however you want. So there is no guideline to follow on how you receive your care, whomever you want to provide your care. Uh, there's no bill that's required. No bill needs to go to the carrier to review and approve. It just simplifies. Uh, you know, you can use it however you want. In fact, you don't even have to use it on care completely as well. So same scenario. Let's say your monthly benefit's 6,000, but your care only costs 5,000. Well, that means there's $1,000 you didn't have for care costs, but your monthly benefit's 6,000. You'd still get that extra 1,000, still get the full 6,000. So the extra 1,000, you're free to spend however you want. You can pay bills, living expenses, make purchases. It just adds a lot more flexibility. So people tend to like that, just full control they have on their policy for whatever type of care that may be out there. Um, that's really what it comes down to, having full control with the indemnity. You know, it's really interesting. When you were talking about indemnity, you said the word simple four or five times. And it just, by, by your explanation, it just sounds like indemnity is so superior. Is there something I'm missing? Yeah, so uh, you're right. The, the indemnity is, is easier, right? For everyone you know, not having any worry of how sure you're following the guidelines, you can have care however you want. If we give some history here, there used to be some indemnity policies within the traditional long-term care space. And they typically would cost more for an indemnity to get, say, a same benefit. Say you wanted to target a policy that provided a, same example, $6,000 a month benefit. Well, you typically had to pay more premium on the policy that offered the indemnity payment to get that same benefit. Uh, with the asset-based plans, that concept originally uh, was similar. You had to pay more for the indemnity. Just so you know, that's changed. Nowadays, the tables have turned. The indemnity plans actually cost uh, a little bit less to get those same targeted benefits. So what happened? Well, uh, with those uh, reimbursement plans that have been around a long time, and if you recall how that method works, where a bill has to be generated and reviewed and approved, after decades of having policies put into force, time going by, and now you start to have tens of thousands of policies on claim. Think about the overhead costs that takes on reimbursement to make sure everyone, every bill every month has to be reviewed for those expenses, approved, and then distributed. So that has a significant amount of overhead associated with it. With the indemnity, since there is no bill required, there is no review in place, you significantly reduce the overhead required to process your payments on indemnity. So we are actually in a point where those companies have a lot more um, uh, flexibility in their pricing with offering the indemnity and having the reduced overhead when it comes to claims on the indemnity policy. So uh, I think now you're starting to see more of a shift. Indemnity now is becoming more favored because of well, how it works relative to pricing. So uh, that's uh, some background that makes sense of why, um, yeah, why that's been with indemnity and reimbursement. That certainly makes sense. And at the end of the day for the consumer, having it simpler and easier to manage is, is really good. The hottest products right now in the marketplace are these linked benefit products, the asset-based products. Why are they so popular right now? Well, I, I think it comes down to really just finding the way that meets a client's preferences at an affordable cost. So we, we talked about the traditional long-term care, how that's the most affordable method, but didn't really have the guarantees that people like uh, with the premium guarantee, a death benefit, or cash value. And the life insurance, while well, it did offer those, uh, was probably quite expensive because you need all of it comes from the death benefits to supply uh, your long-term care benefit. So the asset base is so that middle ground, provides all the guarantees, premiums guaranteed, there's a surrender value, there's a death benefit. 
but yet it costs a lot less because not all of your long-term care benefit is supplied by the death benefit. You're also supplied by that additional pool of just straight insurance for long-term care uh, that's available. So it's a great way when the objective for the client is specifically long-term care, then yeah, an asset-based approach uh, can be great because it's a more an affordable type of plan solution. If there's an objective for some life insurance, of course, then uh, the life insurance can certainly be uh, something that helps out from that standpoint. But when it comes down to just the specific long-term care objective, the asset base from an affordability standpoint, plus all the guarantees offered uh, has been the preference when it comes to a pure long-term care play. There's a lot of products in the marketplace and we at Total you know, work with a lot of different carriers, but I know your secure care right now is, is a really, I'm going to use the word simple again, but it's relatively simple to use product, but it's super competitive. Can you give me three reasons why our listeners should kind of look at it right now? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And it, right now is a really good time uh, with secure care. So it is simple in the fact that it offers full guarantees with a full return of premium available as well. So that's something that's uh, very attractive to individuals, you know, consumers, when we're talking about long-term care, they're committing a lot of money uh, to these types of plans. And they like to know that if, if some things change with their finances, that they can, that they can get that money back if need be. So we offer the full guarantees with the return of premium, but because secondly, our pricing is so good right now in this space with, you know, when you put us against our competitors, we're able to offer the competitive rates that quite often for the same premium dollar will give you more long-term care benefits at the same time offering a full return of premium guarantee compared to a partial surrender value uh, with some of the competitors. On top of that, lastly, we are one of the indemnity options. So you have that full control, that full flexibility on the benefits and the simplicity in how uh, you can use the benefits when it comes time to claim, all while in a leading position with price, offering that full return of premium. One other thing about the indemnity too, long-term care, the way it has been over the past and is today, dynamics always change in this world, right? And I think there has been a change from the impact of the pandemic. You know, a lot more folks are working from home and maybe they feel more safe to have uh, an elder parent who needed care be at home with them rather than at a facility just for you know safety uh, with being in a large uh, environment. So while that could be one way we look at the dynamic of caring, how would that impact an older person's or an older child's finances if they were trying to provide care, even on a part-time standpoint? Wouldn't it be nice if they can supply some income to offset any lost income if they were to provide that type of care? Or what if care changes in the future? We're all familiar with the shared economy. Uh, notable examples, uh, Airbnb, Uber, right? In terms of uh, getting, taking a taxi cab. There actually is a service that provides a similar concept for care. It links caregivers in your area. And if you look, these are actually semi-retired or retired nurses quite the time. So very qualified to offer these types of services. Now, a traditional plan on reimbursement wouldn't be able to cover that type of service, but indemnity plan would, because there is no limitation on what an indemnity plan could cover. And the purpose of these types of services, like a shared economy, Airbnb, Uber, and of course, something that would provide that for care uh, is lower cost. You don't have the overhead of a company that needs all of the requirements to operate. They're basically just putting people in direct contact and you pay them direct, just lowering that price to be able to afford that care. 
And indemnity is a plan that will make sure to be able to do that. So if that becomes a more prominent way, care is received in the future, having an indemnity plan will ensure you can take advantage of that or any other type of care that may come up in the future as the world always um, evolves. James, what's that website? That's a really cool tool. Yeah, so it's third party, so it's separate than uh, than us. So uh, just, but if you ever want to check that out, it's called care.com. And you can go see that they are offering these types of services in, in any area, in any neighborhood at affordable uh, rates. That's that's a really cool. Technology has just really changed what we do and how we do it. And it, it's it's important to have resources like that. We've gone through a lot of different things here and definitely talked a lot about it, the different product solutions and some of the things that you guys have. I know you talked a little bit about it earlier about some of the consequences and in income and so forth. How does a, an advisor start this conversation? What does that what does that conversation look like? Yeah, perfect. And and so you're you're right, Scott. So when we discussed this earlier, when I talked about that sort of mock conversation with a hypothetical couple about the consequences that a a change in health can have on, on all of their planning. That was sort of getting the buy-in. So as a listener, if you were listening to that and you felt, wow, I could see how long-term care can be important as part of that conversation, you notice we didn't even reference a product during that time. Getting the buy-in, and if you felt the same way that that made a lot of sense, your clients are going to feel the same way, that it does not come down to the product. You should never lead with a product as the reason why someone should do long-term care. So it really comes back to the planning and the impact those consequences can have. Uh, So what's important to them? So I always like to open up a conversation. It's a great question. So if you're ever looking for some way to to begin, I just say, you know, as we look into the future, just tell me who and what is most important to you. It's a great way to get things started. They'll tell you, you know, family and their lives. I I hope my children live the best lives I could ever hope for them. And then it's a great way to segue into the conversation uh, that we had earlier uh, on this uh, segment. So you can see how that conversation would go. If you do this properly, you'll have the clients buying in on the concept of doing long-term care planning before you ever make a recommendation on a product. And then the product you do recommend is just your solution that you feel best meets their needs to accomplish those goals. I love that. I love how that flows. Talk a little bit about once you get through that, you decide that this is the plan, this is the solution. What does underwriting look like? Yeah, great question. So, of course, you do have to qualify uh, for these plans from a health standpoint. It's another reason why it's important to have that conversation today. Hopefully, while their health is still at a point where they can qualify for these types of plans, so they have that, should their health be compromised later on down the road. What's great about secure care and underwriting is we have contactless underwriting. So, it's primarily the underwriting is done by a phone interview. So, everybody does a phone interview. You can even pass with just doing a phone interview. I'd say about 70% of applications will be approved by a phone interview only. So majority of people only do a phone interview. So that's great. However, there will be people with significant health histories that maybe is a little too risky to approve just by the phone interview. We need to have a little bit more information. So we'll then pivot and get medical records, but we won't do any in-person exams, no blood draw, no EKG completely contactless throughout this uh, whole entire process. And in fact, you can do the entire sales process remotely. From the beginning, when you do your presentation, you can supply information, you can take the app remotely, 
They do the contactless underwriting. If they're approved, uh, deliver their policy through e-policy delivery. And the clients can even make their payment without even having to send you a check or sending you an EFT form with personal information. They can just go right online with Securium and pay their premium just like that. So simplify that entire process to help evolve where we're at today. Funny comes back down to that word simple again, doesn't it? <laughs> sure does. If it's simple, we can make it the easier, more likely people are to move forward. Yeah, we got to take away the barriers. I think and that is one of the, the keys to longevity planning, long-term care planning is taking away the barriers across the board from an advisor side to the agent side. So what tools and resources do you have to help an advisor you know, position this, sell it, work with it? What are your best tools? Sure. So what, what I think it's, it's important is client engagement. How do we begin? What do we even do? What do we suggest to get a meeting? We have a full marketing plan fully available, consumer approved, several excellent resources, including a consumer approved social media kit. There's consumer approved videos, and we have a full schedule that you can follow. So if you're wondering, how do I even go about this? And that has been super helpful, uh, very impactful with client engagement. So there's several options from some postcards to mailers, something you can email the consumer videos, and then resources. There are excellent third-party type of, of resources that you can provide. For example, there's an article on Medicare and what how long-term care can be provided by Medicare or Medicaid. Clients always want to know if Medicare will cover their long-term care, which ends up they really won't. But having that understood and how that would happen uh, at the, from these points makes it even more of a reason why they should meet and discuss long-term care planning with you. So we have a full marketing kit ready to go and uh, all approved. So that's a way you can help with that uh, customer engagement. I know I've used some of your tools and I've seen them uh, very well done. To the listeners, you can get those tools by you know calling into us. We have all those tools. So you can call our 800 number, which is 800-989-7500. You can call uh, your SVP. Also, you'll be able to get them on our website. So we have put a number of those tools on our longevity website. So if you go to www.totalfinancial.com, go under sales tools, and then go under longevity planning, you'll see a whole host of resources, not just from Securian, but across the board. We've got client videos, we've got client pieces, we have got advisor pieces, we've got calculators. We've put together a very comprehensive list of tools that you can go out and work with your client and use for this, this longevity planning. Again, that's under www.totalfinancial.com, under sales tools, under longevity planning. James, the one thing I have heard throughout every conversation that we've heard, number one about you know making it simple, one thing really struck me, and it's about having a plan. No matter what product solution that you choose, the most important thing is to have a plan, right? Exactly. If you're prepared today for the impact they can have later, much more easy to manage and trying to scramble and change place when it could be too late and the uh, consequences uh, are irreversible at that point. So exactly. Have a plan today, be protected for the future and continue that longevity planning, protect that income. With that, I want to say a huge thank you to, to James. This was really, really good information. This will be something that I think advisors are going to need to go back and spend a couple of times listening to, especially the way that you position this on the front end with clients um, and how to have that conversation. I think this has definitely been an extremely important and extremely well done podcast, and we appreciate your time. Thank you so much. Appreciate the invite. Happy to help and always be here. 
Again, information on our website, www.totalfinancial.com. Uh, you can give us a call at 1-800-989-7500. We can work through all these longevity issues with you. So with that, I want to say thank you for everyone for listening. Thanks, James. And we will talk to everyone soon.